Welcome to the Power Trends Podcast, produced by the New York Independent System Operator, where we discuss energy planning, public policy, and other issues affecting New York's power grid. Welcome back to the Power Trends Podcast. This is Kevin Lanahan, Vice President of External Affairs and Corporate Communications at the New York ISO. And today we're speaking with Anthony Collins, President of Clarkson University. Clarkson has become a significant national leader in technological education and sustainable economic development through teaching, scholarship, research, and innovation. The school has been recognized recently by the Brookings Institution as one of the top 10 universities in the country to maximize student earnings potential. And the university also happens to be the alma mater of many employees here at the New York ISO, including our president and CEO, Rich Dewey. President Collins, welcome to the Power Trends podcast. Thank you. Terrific to be here. Uh, I think first, uh, we might start with a little bit on your background. So grew up in Australia and then made your way to the States. If you could just tell us how that happened, that narrative uh, would be interesting. Sure. Actually, about four generations Australian, born and raised in Melbourne, went to Monash University. And like many Australians, certainly back then, um, there was a bit of a wanderlust. And so I was ready to uh, travel the world, but I started working and then... That didn't seem so interesting to me, so I actually applied to the Lehigh University uh, to their master's program, and I thought I'd take a year off and then uh, do that on the way back home. Well, they offered me a fellowship, and so I went a week later and then uh, finished a master's degree, back to Australia, worked for about four years, and then back to Lehigh for a PhD in 1982, joined the faculty as an assistant professor teaching water and wastewater treatment at Clarkson. And uh, you addressed earlier today graciously, the employees here at the New York ISO. A lot of the focus of uh, your work lately and certainly the discussion today was on innovation and STEM education. If you could give us a quick shot at what uh, the highlights of that discussion today were in your presentation, what it is that you're focused on these days? Sure. Um, I think in my own background, having worked for about five years between the higher degrees, I think that actually gave me a, a sense that we should be doing things that are, have got an application at universities, whether it be research or our teaching. And as I got to Clarkson, I realized that that was pretty much in their DNA as well, that it's uh, typically a group of pretty serious students, not always, but in general, and they're there to be successful in the, academically and then to get a job. And uh, in that process, I think they're, they're more practically oriented than a number of campuses. And so... As I watched that and then went through the ranks, if you will, it struck me that we didn't have to reinvent the wheel, that we had an ethic at Clarkson of, of, of hard work uh, for a purpose. And, and so uh, that evolved into, as I got hired in administration, of, of seeing how we could nurture that. And one of the bellwether moments for me was when I, in 2010, when a student arrived and he had his own business in high school. It was a, a website development business. And uh, he was going to go to a community college because it was cheaper and then maybe transfer to Clarkson. I said, come on, Matt, what's it going to take to get you to come here? I, you know, I could see a real spark within him. And he said, well, make me an offer. And I, I think it was as simple as, as that moment saying, gosh, you know, could we involve our students in business development and innovation and creativity? Not for every student to have their own business. That wasn't the point. It was the mindset that we started to think about developing. 
Uh, long story short is that student graduated in 2014 and my offer had been uh, that for each semester he was there that we would uh, cover the full cost of tuition for him other than regular financial aid and we'd take 1.25% of his company. We ended up with 10% and about three years ago he turned up with a check for just under $20,000 to buy Clarkson's 10% back. Uh, and of course, that's all kinds of bells and whistles ringing, because actually, I think that um, I could envisage a university where the regular not-for-profit part of the university uh, does all the teaching, and maybe there's a for-profit arm that's working with businesses and, and taking equity in them. That's a, another story. Uh, but after that, we took a closer look or thought about what, who we'd graduated, and many of them had taken ideas from the classroom, uh, undergraduates, and then formed businesses. We saw it in our graduate students. We saw it in our faculty. Uh, and uh, we do encourage it, uh, but it's, it doesn't really need encouragement because people get excited by the challenge of identifying problems and solving them. So over the last couple of years, we've realized that there's something unique about uh, our campus and the ecosystem that we're developing. And so we've now formulated programs and physical spaces to enable all of our students that kind of an opportunity. So as, a, as an organization that also values innovation and then, uh, as you put it, for Clarks and hard work and for a purpose, what are the ways that you're trying to communicate that in, um, across the country? Potsdam, uh, which is where Clarkson is located, has its challenges uh, being in a remote part of the state with a certain climate. Um, so how are you getting this message across the country? Um, you obviously are in a competitive environment yourself trying to attract those kinds of students, those kinds of minds. We're trying to attract um, those kind of employees that are coming out of institutions like yours with that innovative spirit. Yeah, I, I often use the expression, uh, you can't just talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And so for us, the results of our efforts are pretty evident. Uh, we have a startup company that's uh, created from a 1988 graduate who came back and actually finished his PhD about two years ago. And he started really um, a research project that led to an electric motor that's about half the size and weight of a conventional motor. So where size and weight matters, doesn't always for electric motors, but in some cases it does. If you're using it as a generator on top of a wind turbine tower, uh, it's very important. And so uh, he's created that motor. There is a, uh, he employs 53 people in Potsdam, hopes to grow up to 250 people. That's pretty eye-catching in and of itself. I think it's really hard to talk about that. Uh, but when you walk the walk and that's created, uh, and there are others like that, then it becomes pretty self-fulfilling as a prophecy that you can attract people that are going to do pretty innovative and creative things. I want to emphasize, for us, it's really getting the mindset in every one of our students. that it's, uh, And so we have to have multiple smaller opportunities for them to do that. Not everyone's going to create a, a business that, that could grow to be a you know, significant business. So for us, the easiest way was uh, what we call a president's challenge. Every first-year student is involved in it um, through their courses, certainly all the engineers on campus and others, uh, the faculty members use that opportunity. There's prize money for creativity, if you will. Uh, and it doesn't take long when you offer prize money for people to say, that's pretty interesting. Let me see if I can add my mind to a group of others and see if we can meet a challenge. So I think uh, that's just one example, but intentionally putting programs into a space. And so we have an innovation hub right in the middle of campus. 
We'd like to think that that's differentiated against other campuses where typically it's in a business building or an engineering building or off campus, even worse. And so for us, it's right in the middle of campus. Every student goes through it. It's, uh, there's a social element to it. There's a Starbucks. Uh, and it, it's become a place where people meet and greet and uh, do great things and innovate. So it sounds like these are uh, observations that you're, you're making in the business world about what works and what doesn't, and how that collaboration happens between people on technical uh, questions and challenges, and you're bringing it to the campus. So the students then, when they go out into the business world, are, they're already going to be familiar with these dynamics and, and fall right into them in order to be successful. Absolutely. And I, I would say a hallmark of, of a Clarkson education, and I think like technical institutions, the comments that we get back all the time is that they're so job ready that, uh, and, and when you think about it, if, if you're job ready and within three months something interesting comes into the office, well, the manager is going to turn to someone who he feels can handle it. And if that happens within three months, well, the rest is history. You know, that person then gets the next opportunity and an interesting assignment and the next and the next. And before you know it, they're um, having a very successful career. I happened to see a returning soccer player a woman come back. Uh, actually, our daughter played soccer on the same team, and so I knew her pretty well. Uh, it had been out 10 years now, and she manages um, Raytheon's uh, missile, Patriot Missile Division. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't get to, you don't get to have an accelerated career like that, unless in those very early days you're ready. You're ready for the mm-hmm. assignment. Mentally, you're ready. You, you've got a mindset that says, we can do that a different way. Not, we can't do it, but how can we do it? Mm-hmm. It's that removing the negative and, and replacing it with the positive. And so when students visit our campus, uh, prospective students, they get to see that, uh, that atmosphere and, and that's where they, so they self-select. People that want to be challenged, that want to be successful, self-select to say, hey, that, that looks like a place where I can both have fun, enjoy myself, be academically successful, and have a great career. And, and challenged at and the challenged. same time. So uh, speaking of which, interested in your observations on the electrical engineering piece of this, uh, since that's what we do here in, in our president and CEO. Um, as I mentioned before, Rich Dewey's put forward a challenge to the employees here, to the stakeholders in the external environment. We're at an inflection point with the technology and the public policies and uh, the way that those are changing what we do here, the grid, the markets. We're very interested in trying to attract the top talent. Clarkson has been an electrical engineering uh, STEM leader for quite some time. What are some of the changes you're seeing in, in the classroom and in the focus on electrical engineering that uh, maybe we aren't seeing yet, but we'll uh, start to experience soon with the employees. Oh, I, I think you're seeing them. Okay. Uh, what, what's interesting to me is this industry, the power industry, certainly 10 years ago, maybe a bit longer, you thought there couldn't be a more conservative industry. Why? Because you wanted your product to be reliable. Uh, and, and it's hard to be innovative and creative uh, and, and maintain reliability through all of that. We don't have that choice anymore. Uh, and so exactly. you, you, you have to be reliable, and yet you have to think about how, how can we do it better? How can we integrate all these various sources of power? It's a huge, exciting challenge. Huge and exciting challenges are not for everybody, believe it or not. <laughs> and, and so I think internships are probably your best uh, self-advertisement that keep them challenging. That word spreads like wildfire back on campus. So many of our students take internships. They talk amongst each other. 
And when a company or a utility gets to be known to have great internships that you get really challenged, you'll, you'll have you know, a lineup of students because that's the kind of student that we have. It's making that match that's critical. So I think it begins with the kind of opportunities that you have here, particularly for your interns. We do have a, a pretty robust internship program here. And as you put it, what I've observed, I think many of us have here, is when, when they come in, they're anxious to dig right in and not intimidated by the complexity of what's happened here. So um, it, it's good to hear that uh, that's what the students are looking for and that's what they, uh, they desire. And I think from my understanding, I checked with the placement office that <laughs> Career Center that uh, they, they are getting that challenge here. And so it's good news for all of us. Yeah, there's no question. Um, and I was listening to your talk earlier and the point you made about computer systems being you know, the foundation now of virtually everything that we conceive of beyond business, but uh, especially with the changes in the economy and, and business and how computer systems have really reshuffled the deck, if you will, um, in terms of the foundation of, of what our experience is like now as human beings. So um, certainly we focus a lot on IT here and, uh, and computer systems here. It's the backbone of, of much of what we do. And certainly uh, reliability of the system relies on it. Uh, can you talk a little bit and share some of the details that you went over um, early in your talk on on this concept? Sure. I, I, th- I think one of the perhaps most useful things I do is each year I, there's a presidential switch. And so I, um, a student gets name gets drawn, and that, that obviously they have to volunteer for it. <laughs> but uh, this past year, for example, I switched this past semester, I switched with an aeronautical engineer and took his, was a him, took his classes. And I was, so you're going to his classes and, and, and he's he doing runs, your job for her. He runs the university. That's great. Okay. The best part is he gets, a, gets to go home and have lunch with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, at the end of the day, by the way, he, get, he or she gets to invite a group of their f- friends over and we talk about the day over dinner. So I had, yeah, he, he was overloading. I think he was taking six courses and I would say five, I, I, I actually had five classes that day. Every one of them was computer-based. Um, one class was modeling airflow, and literally sat in a small lab. He was teamed with two others. Uh, and I just think we have to recognize it and support it and do it. it it's quite natural. I mean, that our, our teachers, our faculty are cutting edge. They're using the latest software, and they introduce that. Students have access to it. We have ubiquitous licenses. They can get to software packages and systems. It's just part of life these days. Yeah. More global question, but from the standpoint of, of competing on that STEM field, are we as a nation being competitive when you travel a lot? And you mentioned the uh, trips you've taken out to Google and, and some of these other very large companies that have been built up over a short amount of time on that uh, computer system foundation. Are we, are we competitive on a global uh, standpoint. Yeah, it's the key question, right, for the future. And I just came back from the Association of Independent Technical Universities meeting, which we have once a year. So independent, meaning private, technical, think of RPI and uh, RIT mm-hmm. and uh, Case Western and WPI and Clarkson, mm-hmm. MIT and Caltech are members. Um, and so there's about 20 of us, 18 presidents of those groups out in uh, California this past week. And I can tell you that question of where we stand in the intellectual race is foremost in everyone's mind. In particular around that question, if you look at Silicon Valley, over half of the companies that have been developed uh, that are over some benchmark, I can't remember the, can't remember the size, maybe a billion dollars, 
Over half of them have been developed uh, by native Indian CEOs and presidents. So there's a clear statement of the importance of international students, graduate students coming, um, that, that interplay and that intermix. Everyone is concerned that there's been a downturn international students mm-hmm. and therefore a loss of vitality to some extent on campuses. At Clarkson, we believe that diversity is critical to every problem is solved. You get the best solution from the broadest set of individuals. It doesn't matter what component of their background is, is different, that the wider the array of people and their thinking uh, creates the best solution. So the interplay of uh, whether we're behind or ahead or maintaining in STEM education is integrally linked also to the international student Mm -hmm. exchange, faculty exchange. And there are people voicing the opinion just from this meeting that that we may uh, not see a turnaround in international students, that universities in, in China in particular and India, uh, other major, what used to be major pools or reserves for international students to come to this country, uh, they're developing their own system. And the long-term impact of that is unknown, but people are concerned and asking a lot of questions around, can we maintain our STEM Mm -hmm. edge? Uh, And believe it or not, that's why we've got our shoulder to the wheel at places like Clarkson uh, to make certain that we keep it. And I, I think, you know, for me, there's an interplay between intellectual curiosity and freedom of thinking, freedom of thought, freedom of action. And so when you look at the entire system in the United States, the political system and the technical education that we have, I believe that that can keep us in the forefront. Uh, time will tell. But I think there's an integral link between freedom of thought and intellectual leadership and STEM leadership. Really interesting. Uh President Anthony Collins, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate the work that you're doing and that shoulder-to-the-wheel approach. Keep churning out those graduates that we uh, we employ here. We had a great many in the audience today listening to you. It was a riveting discussion then, too. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. I mean that sincerely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, the New York Independent System Operator, NISO for short, is responsible for reliably managing New York's power grid and energy markets and providing independent data to policymakers and the public. For more independent info, please visit the NISO blog at www.nyiso.com blog.